Welcome to the Life Point Louisville podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Sean McGill. For more information about this podcast and for other resources, visit lifepointlou.org. If you have your Bible real quickly, open up Genesis chapter 26. I'm going to start team in the back with verse number 12. It says, and Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he was very wealthy. He had possessions and flocks and herds and many servants. And so the Philistines, the enemy, they envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up and filled with earth the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of his father Abraham. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us. You're much mightier than we are. And so Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again. Look at your neighbor and say, dig again. Come on, look at your other neighbor. Say, dig again. He dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. When Isaac's servants dug in the valley, they found a well of spring water. The herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, this water is ours. And they called the name of the well Essek because they contended with him. Then they dug another well and they quarreled over that one as well. And they called it Sitna, And they moved on from there and dug yet another well that they did not quarrel over. So they called it Rehoboth, saying, The Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Jumping ahead to the New Testament, the book of John, chapter number 7, verse 37 through 38. On the last days of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come and drink. For whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers, rivers, rivers of living water. In John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, the message says it this way. Jesus said, anyone who drinks the water in which I give will never thirst again. Everyone who drinks the water apart from me, it says, will get thirsty again and again. But anyone who drinks the water in which I, th- or which I give will never, not ever thirst. The water I give will be an artesian spring within. I love it. An artesian spring within, gushing with fountains of endless life. Would you pray with me, Father? I just... And praying today that your word would be alive. May it be sharper than any double-edged sword. May it pierce through the places that it needs to go to directly. I pray today that people would encounter your presence. And would encounter you in a very, very real way. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, the church said amen. Amen. Hey, anybody got your spoon with them? Did you get a spoon on your way in? There is no ice cream today. I'm sorry about that. But I am praying that your spoon would get turned into a shovel. That God would help you begin digging. I want to use the imagery of this story today as we look at the life of Isaac. 
in which some of us may know very well or some may know very little to illustrate as a metaphor a point that I think would be applicable for today. As we look at our founding fathers of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, last week we looked at the life of Jacob and we looked at how he wrestled and contended with God to get his miracle and that wrestling came through pain, but it was the pain that he experienced that led him to the blessing. And so as you look at Jacob, he had several chapters in the Bible. His father Abraham as well, multiple chapters in the book of Genesis. But as we look at Isaac, only one chapter is built really fully around him. And so he gets very little uh, page time or screen time for that matter. But what is in this chapter is incredibly powerful. And it's a chapter about wells. And as we read it on the surface, it may not make much sense. But we all know, and if you were to, uh, if I were to talk about this with you, you would get this, that water is essential to life. How many of you know you got to drink some water every once in a while if you're going to live? You may live for a while without food, but you are not living without water. Water, we are made up of water. Water is essential to life. Without it, we will die. And so back in the day, when you, you look at Bible times, as you think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you think about where they lived, they lived in very desert, dry places. Wells were not of abundance, and so when a well was dug, and when a well, not just a pit, but when a well was dug, it was a very valuable thing. See, wells were necessary. They were not only necessary for humans to come and draw water out of, but they were also necessary for the herds, they were necessary for all the animals and flocks. They were necessary to harvest the crops. Wells were a valuable thing. And so if you stop up a well, it would prevent you from planting your crops. It would prevent your herds from drinking, just like oil being so precious in the Bible. Water and wells were also very precious. And so in this hot, dry, desert-like comet, a well... It represented one thing, and that was life. If you had a well, it not only represented life, but in many cases, it represented blessing and prosperity. And to stop up a well, to discontinue its life and prosperity, I mean, those would be fighting terms. Those would be moments that were not taken lightly because to fill it with dirt would be very destructive, and it would take away life in an area. And so the Bible says that the Philistines waited until old man Abraham had died and passed away because they didn't want to mess with Abraham. They weren't going to mess with the father of our faith. Abraham, I mean, he was the original OG and they were like, we are not messing with you. And so they waited. They knew how powerful not he was, but God was through him. And so when Abraham died off and when he passed away, it says that the Philistines, they finally saw their chance. The Philistines, the adversaries, those that were against the people of God. You remember the story of David and Goliath? What was Goliath? He was a Philistine. The enemy, the adversary, it says they waited for the old man to die. And then they began to put dirt on the well. Oh, this family's not getting any water anymore. This family's not going to have life anymore. We're going to stop blessing. We're going to stop prosperity. We're going to keep it all for ourselves, And they begin to put dirt on the very wells that brought life 
See, stopping up a well, the Philistines filling, refreshing wells with dirt. It was a big deal. And so when you read that passage of scripture, it's so easy to skim right by verse number 15 where it says, Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth the wells in which the father Abraham's servants dug in the day. And so here the precious well is filled with dirt. Abraham's son through promise Isaac, the same Isaac that Abraham would take to be sacrificed, but God would provide a sacrifice. That very son, later in life, God would bless him. And he was living in what the Bible says, a fruitful season, right? He reaped a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. He became rich and gained more wealth than anyone else. He was very wealthy. He had flocks and servants, and the Philistines, they envied him, and so they kicked him out. See, the enemy will always envy blessings. The enemy will always be frustrated with the hand of God on your life. And their number one goal and their number one priority is to stop and remove the hand of blessing and remove the hand of God on your life. And so they see this and they become very contentious of him. They become very jealous of him and they say, get away. You are so much mightier than we are. And so as a sojourner, he begins walking the lands and he begins to, to dig his own well. He had a source of life, I'm sure here the Bible doesn't say in this moment, but he now had to find a new source of life. And so the Bible says he settled in the land of Gerar. And he gets there and as he begins to settle, he sees a well. A well in which his father had once dug, wells that were once open and a source of life, maybe he knew about them. Maybe they were once, you know, brought to him. Maybe he drank out of these very wells, but they were filled with dirt. And how many of you know you cannot get fresh water out of a dirty well? And so Isaac sees the potential. He knows what lies beneath the dirt. He knows what a well means. He knows that a well would mean continued prosperity and continued blessing. And he knows he's walking in the favor of God. And so he gets a shovel and he begins to say, I won't let the enemy win. But here is a well and so there is water where there is a well. Here is an opportunity and so I will dig. I will not just dig, but I will dig again. The well in which my father had once dug. The well in which my father had once found life in. I too will dig. And he begins to dig the wells in which his father had once dug. And it would be these wells that ultimately when you read on in verse number 22, it says he dug another well. And they called him Rehoboth or Rehoboth. Saying, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. He knew the source of his fruitfulness was a well of life. I think as followers of Christ, us too must know that the source of our fruitfulness, the source of our blessings, the source of our prosperity, it does not come through our own hands it does not come through our own intuition, but it comes from the source of life, which the Bible says in John 7, whoever believes in me, whoever thirsts for me, out of him will flow rivers, wells of living water. It will be, as John chapter 4 says, like an artesian spring that is gushing 
from fountains within. See, when we are living with the well of life in us, there is blessing, there is prosperity, there is favor. But how many of you know the enemy, just like they did in the days of old, we have an adversary. That he is roaming the earth and he is desiring to still kill and destroy. The enemy wants nothing more than to take your well of life that God is blessing. Your well of life that you have rivers of living water flowing out of you and say no more. He wants to fill you with greed. He wants to fill you with lust. He wants to fill you with addictions. He wants to fill you with racism. He wants to fill you with every malice and every sin. He wants to fill you with brokenness. He wants to fill you with misery. The enemy, just like he did in the days, he desires to stop up the well of life that is in you some of you you felt that you have felt that there has been an attack on your life and it's like there's nothing springing forth oh I feel dry you feel like you're walking in a desert and there is no water for your soul the enemy wants you to live in desert wastelands when God wants you to live with streams of living water flowing out of you so the enemy, he wants to stop you up. See, the enemy wants more deserts than wells. He wants more dryness than downpours. And so the Bible says that Isaac, he redug, he dug again. See, wells were 100 to 800 feet deep in the middle of the desert. I'm sure it was hard work. I mean, I'm sweating up here, and this is like a couple bags of dirt and a mini well. This is not even a well. And this, uh, I don't even, where did y'all get this, Amazon? This is great. It's hard work to dig. It'll make you sweat a little bit. I'm not saying digging is easy. I'm not saying it's just going to happen overnight, but we got to dig. It's time to start digging. Some of you need to take your spoon. You need to go home and say, I'm going to turn this thing into a shovel. I'm going to start digging. I'm going to dig for my family. I'm going to dig for me. I'm going to dig. I'm not going to let the enemy stop up the well of life that is in me. Now, I want to warn you, digging isn't trendy. Sometimes being a well digger, it's not cool. Sometimes people may look at you and say, what in the world are you doing? But too many of us, we're living dry because we're worried about men. We're worried about what other people think. Oh, if I start digging that well of holiness, they'll look at me weird. If I start digging that well, you know, whatever. But it's time to start digging. It's time to grab our shovel and get to work. I'm afraid our generation is trying to get water from all the wrong places. I'm afraid we're trying to get water from, you know, whatever, maybe wealth. We're trying to get water from our friends. We're trying to get water from social media. We're trying to get validation from all of these things. And none of those things, they may produce goodness for a moment, but none of those things are wells of living water. You cannot, 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 you cannot get fresh water from a dirty well. And so it's time to dig again. 
And maybe you don't need to dig for you, but can I say, will you dig for someone else? See, he dug again the wells in which his father had dug. And he named them the same thing that his father had named them. See, there is a generation before us that dug some wells. There is a generation before us, your grandmas and your grandpas and their followers, that they were known as well diggers. They were known as people of faith. They were known as people that prayed and sought the face of God. When you looked at them, you, they were model Christians. They knew how to dig wells. But I think the enemy has tried to stop up the wells in our lifetime so much that we have stopped becoming diggers. We are living on the remnant and the drops. We are at the bottom, church, of a well where there is water. But I think only drops are coming out because our generation isn't digging. Our generation is just waiting for somebody else to dig, saying it's not cool to dig. They're just waiting and looking at it. And all the while, the enemy is just putting dirt on it. He's just saying, I'll add a little bit more dirt I'll stop it up and just like one generation in the book of Judges says after a whole generation had gathered to their ancestors another generation grew up and neither did not know the Lord or what he'd done if we don't grab our spoons if we don't take a shovel and start start digging my son will not know what it means to be in the presence of God my hope is one day he can walk in a room and he can encounter a well that is full of living water Water. He can encounter a God that wants to save him, but if we let it dry up, if we let it dry up, there will be no water in the sanctuary. There will be no water to, to, to experience, and so we owe it not to ourselves to not just drink the final drops of water, but to continue to dig out the artesian well, to continue to dig out the things in which the enemy has stopped up and says, I will do it for the next generation. Is it hard? Yes. Will people make fun of me? Yes. May everyone not understand me? Yes. May I be canceled on Facebook? Yes. But I will dig because it matters. I'll dig because it matters. Okay. I think there's some wells <laughs> that we need to start digging. I was thinking, God, what are the wells that we need to start digging that I feel like were once dug with passion, but now we have let dry up? What are the wells that the enemy has been throwing dirt on? What are the foundational truths that a generation before carved out, but we, we are letting get stopped up? I think the first is this. It's the well of prayer and fasting. It's the well of prayer and fasting. Guys, prayer and fasting still works. Prayer and fasting are still the things in which touch and move the heart of God. It's not old school to pray about everything. It's not old school to make prayer our first priority, not our last resort. I was talking to Jennifer and she was talking about a time when she was very little and they lived in Huntsville, Arkansas, where for years her mom and dad would get in this broken down pickup truck and they'd have to lay hands on the truck and pray that that truck would start. We don't know things like that anymore. If a truck is broken, we leave it on the side of a road. If a truck is messed up, we just go get it fixed. They didn't have the money to fix it. They didn't have the know-how to make it work, so they put a hand on it and say, God, if you don't, it won't. And I just wonder, I just broke that pulpit. It was already broke. 
I just wonder if the things in which another generation thought was holy, we've called, you know, silly or we've called, that doesn't matter. And we've started digging other wells. And it's just, I, I, I get it, I get it. We do need some new wells. There are some wells in our past that are wrong. There are some wells that a generation dug before us that are wrong that we need to undo. We need to undo the, you know, the well of hate and racism and all those things in which another generation thought was holy. There are some bad wells, but there are some wells that mattered back in the day. There are some wells that were powerful back in the day. And it is the well of prayer and fasting. And I, I'm so worried. I'm so worried that we're digging the wrong wells. And when it comes to the well of prayer, the Bible says in 1 Peter that we can cast all our cares on him. For he cares for us. And instead of casting our cares and digging the well of prayer, you know what I think we're digging? The well of anxiety. The well of worry. You got something as powerful as prayer that can move the hand of God, that can change your situation, but you'd rather dig a well of worry. We're worrying about too much and we're praying about nothing. We've got to dig again the well of prayer and fasting. I long for the day where the prayer groups at the church are full. I long for the day where the prayer groups at 21 days of prayer are full. I long for the day where they know that this kind will only happen. Matthew chapter, uh, is it, what is it, Mark, Mark, Matthew chapter 17, that this kind will come not except by prayer and fasting, that there are some things that will move the hand of God that only prayer and fasting can do. And so we've got to redig the well of prayer and fasting. I think another well we need to redig is the well of holiness. This ain't a popular message today, I'm sure, but, but I feel like we've got to redig the well of holiness. Some called it sanctification. You may call it a personal standard. I don't care what you call it, but, but we need to come out, as Corinthians says, 617, come out from among them, and we need to be ye separate, says the Lord. The Lord says, be ye holy, for I am holy. We're trying so hard to fit in and to look like everybody else and to not get, you know, people, you know, for, for, for us to get offended or, or whatever, that there is no separation. We are supposed to look different. We are supposed to talk different. We are supposed to act different. We are supposed to be the people that the world looks on and says there's something different about him. You know what I think a crying shame is that the, the church, and I'm not saying everyone, this isn't a blanket statement, myself included. We look so much like the world in this last season that instead of the world turning to the church, they were turning to fear. They were turning during all this stuff when they could have looked at the church that was full of faith and a church that was full of hope and a church that was full of I know my my God can. He can do it. But holiness, holiness is something that's like, oh. We need to get some personal standards again. We should look a little different, act a little different, talk a little different than everybody else. And I don't need to tell you what that is. You know. You know what it is that you're doing that's crossing the line. That is probably grieving God's heart. He's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. He's not going to dry up your well if you'll come back to him and you'll dig it out. Dig it out. I think we need to dig, again, the well of salvation and evangelism. I know this isn't popular, but heaven and hell are real. This generation is trying to get rid of hell. 
God would never send you to hell. He loves us. How could a loving God do that? God doesn't send anybody to hell. We choose to go to hell. We choose a life apart from God. And we've got to come at him again, and we've got to, we've got to let a lost and a dying world know that you will stand one day before God, and there will be a decision that makes, and he will either say, enter in, my good and faithful servant, or he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And there are people in our city that are close to us, but they are far from God, and they need somebody to tell them. They need somebody to love them enough to, to allow the thing that breaks God's heart to break your heart. We've got to dig again. The well of lost people break the heart of God. People that don't know God grieves God. And so we've got to go and we've got to tell him. The Bible says, how can they know without a preacher? How can they know unless somebody goes and somebody tells them and somebody is sent to tell them about Jesus? You know, the first flame that dies in every church is the flame of evangelism. And we've got to keep it alive. This church wasn't just created for us, but it was created for us and those that are not yet a part of us. As long as there is people in this city that are dying and may go to hell one day, we have got to be lights. We have got to go and tell. We have got to be evangelists with the love of God in our heart, the grace of God flowing through us saying there is a better way. There is hope. You don't have to turn to that drug. You don't have to turn to that vice. You don't have to go down that pile. You know, we just got to say, I know a God. He can heal you. He can save you. He can turn you around. You say, that's too hard. It's, it's too hard. I get it. It is hard, but salvation is found. Acts 4.12, in no other name under heaven, but the name of Jesus. And so who is called to carry you are? See, God's last command on earth was always meant to be our first priority. He said to go. Go into all the world once you believe in me. Baptizing them. Preaching about me. You know, go. Discipling them. Go into all the world. Preaching and teaching and baptizing. It's the Great Commission. But I'm afraid the Great Commission has become our least favorite commission. And so we've got to dig again the well of salvation and evangelism. And I get it, it's hard. I get it, you're worried about what your coworker might think. I get it that you're worried because, you know, you don't feel like you're adequate enough or have the power enough to do it. But can I tell you that there is another well that you can dig that will give you everything you need to be Christ's witness to preach and teach with power, to do the works of Jesus, to advance the kingdom of God, and it is the well of Pentecost. Acts 2, 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like a blowing violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed like tongues of fire separated and came and rest on each one of them. And all of them, all of them, all of them, not just some of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in another tongue as the Spirit enabled them. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. 
Power to do what? Power to be my witnesses. Acts 2.38, repent, be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We need to redig the well of the Holy Ghost. We need to redig. I know it's Father, Son, Holy Scripture, right? No, it's Father, Son, Holy Ghost still. Is the Word of God valuable? But it is the Holy Ghost. It is the Holy Spirit that allows you to read the Word of God and understand the Word of God. It is the Holy Spirit that moved on writers and allowed them to pin the very things written about that we're reading. And apart from the Holy Spirit, we won't understand it. We won't really understand it like we should. Oh, we'll fill in the blanks with everything that we think the Bible means. And then we'll put it on Google and we'll act like that's truth and that's fact. But we got to redig again the well of Pentecost of the Holy Spirit and say, God, apart from your spirit, I can do nothing. I can do nothing without your spirit, God. I can do nothing. I thank God for the Holy Spirit. I know where I got it. I know why God called me. I know the moment at an altar. God gave me a shovel. I know the moment God says, here's the tool to start digging. Here's the thing that will get you by in life. It is the shovel of the Holy Spirit that empowered me and enabled me to dig. And there's a reason why the enemy isn't tripping me up like sometimes the enemy wants to trip me up. There's a reason why I can stand tall and say, Satan, get behind me. There's a reason why I'm living for God and trying to stay healthy and believing. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. It is not nothing in and of myself that is enabling me. No, it is not my motivation. It is not my willpower. It is a high higher power from heaven above that's allowing me to dig, that's allowing me to go, that's allowing me. And you need the Holy Spirit. If you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you haven't in a long time been filled again, today, don't leave here without being filled again. I thank God. I thank God that I can wake up every day and pray in the Spirit and that Spirit can enable me and empower me. You need a pastor full of the Spirit. Your family needs a dad full of the Spirit. Your kids need a mom full of the Spirit. Your coworkers need a man or a woman, a friend, a neighbor full of the Spirit. There is so much going on and we're giving them a lot of ourselves, but we need to give them a full of the Spirit, Jesus. And I got some more wells, but I wanna close with this one. There is a well in this city that was once dug that I think people of God full of the Spirit, if we get out a shovel and start digging again, we would see God do amazing things. The Louisville Religious Revival started in 1905. The paper says two weeks ago it came to an end on Sunday and Dr. J.P. Calhoun who managed the movement estimated that over the two weeks, 7,000 people had been converted. 10,000 people had been made seriously to think about religion. The revival was pronounced by ministers to have been one of the greatest ever. An editorial writer in the Courier-Journal, February 10th, in an article descriptive of the Courier-Journal used these words, Louisville today is in the midst of one of the greatest religious revival in history. 
without single exception, nothing has approached it in its magnitude. The press went on to report this, that the most remarkable revival ever known in the city is now in Louisville, and 58 of the city's leading business firms of the city are closed downtown for noon hour prayer meetings. It goes on to say, it was very, very easy to speak to the unsaved about their soul salvation. They expected it. Everywhere, in the shop and in the store, in the mill and in the factory, in the office and in the home, on the street, salvation was the main topic of the conversation. The actors and actresses, they hastened at the close of their plays to these revival meetings. Every classroom in the city was under the power of the Holy Spirit. In the revival, men of wealth and intelligence and men who had spent the greater part of their lives in a prison cell came shoulder to shoulder. Ladies dressed in the height of fashion stood next to their sisters in the garments of poverty all alike, forgetful of their surroundings, intent on only one thing, the salvation of their souls. That's why in March 1905, Henry Clay Morrison said this, and this became the headline of the article written about Louisville in every headline that you could have read. The whole city seemed to be breathing a spiritual breath. The whole city seemed to be breathing a spiritual atmosphere. When the editors of the paper went to Dr. Calhoun and said, how did this happen? In a paper on March the 2nd, he said these two things. We believe in God and we believe in the Holy Ghost. We believe in God and we believe in the Holy Ghost. There is a well in this city that was once flowing with living water that the enemy has been trying to stop up and bring hatred and bring division and bring every sort of foul thing imaginable. But if there are some people of God, I believe, that are willing to grab a spoon and let it be a shovel and start digging, there is a well in this city that is ready to spring forth again, that can touch a nation, that can touch a world. There is a well in this city that once sprung forth that said everywhere in the city, People seemed to be breathing a spiritual atmosphere. When they walked into their homes, they were breathing the breath of God. Somebody's getting this. When they walked into their schools, they were breathing the breath of God. Does anybody want that? When they walked into their jobs, they were breathing the breath of God. When they walked into the factory and the mills, they were breathing the breath of God. It didn't matter if you were black or white or rich or poor or spent your life in prison or stood in the height of fashion they were breathing the breath of God all alike forgetful of their surroundings only focus on the salvation of their soul only focus on God and so we've got to grab a shovel and we've got to start digging I still believe that old wells can produce fresh water I still believe that what's full of life can be experienced again if we will redig. And so if you're dirty and if your well is stopped up, may you dig again.
didn't get this from Google today. I got this in prayer. I feel like God told me, preach about the wells. And so today, I've done all I can do to inspire a church to dig again. If you feel dry, there is a river ready to flow. And I wanna encourage you as the band comes up here, that if you're dry, there's an altar call today for you, that you would come around the front. And I know that seems old school, but there is a well that if we'll dig again, where you can experience and encounter the presence of God. Can you encounter him in your seat? Absolutely. But I wanna give you an opportunity, if that's for you, as you all stand all over this place, that if you need an altar and you need to dig a well, that will become a downpour in your life. If you need to redig the well of your heart and say, God, I give you my heart today, you can come down to this altar. If you need prayer, there's gonna be a prayer team on the side. We're gonna sing for a few minutes. I'll dismiss you just here in a moment. But let today be a house of prayer. Let today be marked and known by this was a room full of people that were ready to dig some wells in this city, that were ready to dig some wells for their families, that were ready to dig some wells for their children. And so, Father, right now I pray for every person in this room. God, I pray if there's someone in here today that does not know you, God, I pray that the well that they would dig today is the well of their heart, offering up to you all of themselves. Father, your word says, if you call unto me, if you call unto me, I will hear you. I will save you. Anyone that calls on the name of the Lord, the Bible says, shall be saved. Thanks for listening to the LifePoint Louisville podcast. If you would like to partner with us in spreading the good news of Jesus, you can give by visiting lifepointlou.org forward slash give or text LCLOU to 77977. Thanks so much. We hope you have an incredible week.